The following podcast contains explicit content and is not suitable for all listeners. The majority of 2,600 unsolved murders in the UK relate to female victims. A leading crime expert in the UK, former detective Mark Williams Thomas, stated in a report in 2021, quote, There is a disproportionate amount of women murdered whose cases remain unsolved, and that is the same for missing person cases. It is primarily because they are the most vulnerable. The majority, although not all, of serial killers will kill females rather than males. The overall scale of unsolved murders is phenomenal, particularly in the 70s and 80s where technology wasn't what it is today, and those cases are unlikely to be solved. When you look in terms of vulnerabilities of victims, females fall into those categories. The sad reality is that many instances the police have already carried out reviews and don't feel there is sufficient evidence to take the case further forward. The police struggle to keep up with the amount of murders that happen on a day-to-day basis as it is. End quote. On June 6, 1991, the body of a 43-year-old mother of two was discovered in the front seat of her car in a busy car park in a London, England suburb. She'd been stabbed over 50 times in broad daylight, but with no witnesses and many questions surrounding her actions leading up to the day of her murder. There are more questions than answers, and her case has sat cold for over 30 years. Her daughter continues to speak publicly about her mother's murder in an effort to bring closure to her family. This is the story of Penny Bell. Ruth Penelope Bell, who went by Penny, was born on February 28, 1948, in Burnham-on-Sea, in Somerset, in England. I couldn't find anything about her life growing up, her parents, or anything like that. Her murder has been so publicly talked about that, and as I've stated before, It overshadows her as a person, which often happens in these cases. She was married to a man named Alistair Bell, and they had two children, Lauren and Matthew, aged 9 and 12 at the time of their mother's death. Lauren has stated that due to her age, she has repressed all memories of her mother prior to the attack, which is common for children to do after such a traumatic experience. I'm not sure of her brother's memories, but Lauren has taken the lead over the years of publicly speaking about her mother's murder to hopefully reach someone who might know something and maybe couldn't or didn't feel safe to tell the information earlier, but may now come forward. She does say that prior to that day, her life felt normal and they were just a regular happy family. The family lived in Bakerswood, which is a hamlet just a couple of miles or a few kilometers from Denham in Buckinghamshire. 
Denham is considered a village and is located about 17 miles or 27 kilometers from central London and has a population of just 7,139 as of 2011, and I couldn't find an updated population. A picturesque area that has been used for British film and TV, the area is considered a middle to upper middle class area, and Penny and her family were living comfortably. Penny was a partner in a successful employment agency that specializes in the hospitality industry, called Coverstaff Limited, and her husband worked as an estate agent, which is called a real estate agent in Canada and elsewhere, I believe, just in case that is confusing to anyone not from the UK. Penny's business is still active and states online that it was established in 1982 and provides staff for five-star hotels, private clubs, and so on. Penny and her husband were in the middle of a large renovation on their home at the time, and Penny kept meticulous records of all transactions for the work being done. That is the kind of person she was, detail-oriented, specific, and involved in all aspects of the decision-making process, skills that I'm sure allowed her to excel in her career. The morning of the attack was just like any other, She got ready for work and said goodbye to her children. Her husband does note that she appeared more distracted that day and didn't walk him out to say goodbye as she normally did. He just assumed she was caught up in the renovation disruption that morning and didn't really think anything of it. Alistair left around 8.30 a.m. with their son, which was usual for them. I'm not sure when their daughter left, as it's not mentioned, but Penny left around 9.40 a.m., which was also usual for her, but she had not made the children's beds, which was unusual, as she did that every day. Upon leaving, she mentioned to one of the workers that she was running late for a 9.50 a.m. appointment. There was no record of this appointment in any of her notes or in her schedule. The night before... Her husband also stated that she appeared to have something on her mind and that she fell asleep watching the nightly news and went to bed early, shortly after 9 p.m. These details do appear to be important. As it turns out, Penny had withdrawn 8,500 pounds just three days before her death. And to this day, it is unaccounted for and there's no clear indication of what the money was intended for. And just to put this in perspective, 8,500 pounds today is roughly 14,300 Canadian dollars and 10,500 US dollars. With inflation, it's estimated that 8,500 pounds today would be closer to 17,700 pounds. Just so you have an idea that this is a substantial amount of money to just go missing with no record from someone who is very meticulous about keeping records. So for her to have an appointment not listed in her day planner and a large sum of money unaccounted for when she was so meticulous, it does raise questions. There is speculation that Penny picked someone up from the train station as there was a 9.50 train due that morning, but it has not been confirmed. Penny drove along her usual route to work, but it is reported that she may have stopped to pick up a man at around 9.50 a.m. from Fulmer Common Road. 
Penny drove a distinctive pale blue Jaguar XJS, and a witness claims to have seen a man around 5'10 in height, late 40s, and white enter the vehicle. Her vehicle was then reported to have been seen driving erratically along Greenford Road at around 10.20 a.m. The vehicle's hazards were on, and it was going somewhere between 10 to 15 miles per hour or 16 to 24 kilometers per hour, according to the witness. It is also claimed the man's hand was on the steering wheel driving the car. Another witness came forward six months after and claimed that she mouthed, quote, help me as she drove past him, but that he did nothing at the time. Following these sightings, Penny's car was driven to Gurnall Leisure Center car park, and her vehicle was parked in a spot that was partially hidden by two hedges. It is estimated that Penny was stabbed shortly after at around 10.30 a.m. in what is described as a, quote, frenzied attack. Penny Bell was stabbed over 50 times in the front seat of her car, before her murderer vanished. I'd like to take this moment to thank you for listening to my podcast. Femicide has surpassed 14,000 downloads, and I cannot thank you enough for your support. If you haven't already, please leave a review. It helps so much in getting my podcast out to a wider audience. And I've said this before, it really does make the difference And it makes me so happy when I see posts or shares or likes or comments because it just shows that you are appreciating what I'm doing here. Femicide was started as a way to shed a light on violence against women and highlight these growing concerns in our society. And by sharing these stories, especially cases like unsolved murders, you highlight it even more, you share, people hear, and that's how some cold cases do get solved. So I really appreciate you sharing and taking the time. And if you are interested, I do have a Patreon account. So for just $5 a month, you support my efforts and you also get a bonus episode each and every month. So you can subscribe to that online or via the Patreon app. I'll leave a link in the show notes of this episode. But I just really wanted to take the time to say thank you and to let you know how much it really means to me when you support my podcast. As always, I will be donating 10% of all gifts received and memberships each month to various charities that help support women. The charity I will be donating to for the month of November 2022 is Anishinaabe Health Foundation. Quote, Guided by the teachings of traditional healers, elders, and medicine people, we aim to build a healthy, strong Indigenous community by looking at health holistically. We don't just offer a bandaged solution. We are helping clients to overcome barriers to health and living a good life. Barriers such as homelessness, poverty, trauma, abuse, and addiction. End quote. And please don't forget to share with your friends and families because word of mouth is the best review of all. Penny had been stabbed by her killer from both the passenger seat and then from the driver's side window. This is a personal attack 
and it is believed Penny knew her killer. At around 12.15 p.m., two women going to the leisure center with their children saw the car and went to have a closer look, finding the gruesome scene and alerting police. The crime scene was soon blocked off and the investigation began. Everyone who was in or around that area at the time was tracked or asked to come in for questioning. So remember, this is 1991, and technology isn't what it is today, but they did their best to contact as many people that were in that area as possible at the time. The car park held 153 spaces and was almost full that morning. In total, 4,000 people were questioned by May of 1992. While robbery and sexual assault were ruled out, it is still unclear if the 8,500-pound withdrawal was taken. It is assumed, but as it's never been recovered, it's hard to say for absolute certainty. In the vehicle were some wallpaper samples, which looked as though she'd been showing them to someone possibly. So, who could have committed this horrific murder? How did they get away with it? It was reported some time after that a witness saw a man looking wet and partially dressed near a river, perhaps cleaning up. All descriptions of the man by witnesses, getting in the car, driving erratically, and the wet man, were all the same, 5'10", white, late 40s, and it's claimed he was wearing a gold chain bracelet. An investigator from the case and her daughter Lauren appeared on a Crime Watch UK television episode in 2021. And in it, the investigator states her morning was normal and that she waved off the family at the front door as normal. She does not reference Penny appearing distracted, not making her children's beds as usual, or her husband's statement of not waving them off that morning. I'm not sure why that is, but I personally feel her actions leading up to the murder are the most telling of all. My theory, which is discussed in length on Reddit and other places where people are commenting about this murder, is that Penny was perhaps being blackmailed or trying to pay someone off. Alternatively, she could have been trying to help a friend and it took a turn. Maybe it wasn't as much as they needed. To stab someone 50 times is difficult. It takes energy. It's effort. And it makes the crime seem personal. I hate to speak ill of the deceased, and there is no shame in any way if it is true. But Penny could have been having an affair. Her daughter thinks, quote, The ferocity of the attack suggests a crime of passion. I think it was someone who wanted her but couldn't have her. End quote. But maybe they did have her. Maybe she was bored. Maybe she was lonely. Being in a marriage, even a seemingly happy one, doesn't mean that it was or that she was happy. There are many things that go on behind closed doors that maybe even her family weren't privy to. Maybe she had an affair and tried to call it off and was blackmailed or offered the money as consolation and he attacked her. Maybe he thought that aged old if I can't have you, no one can, mentality. Unfortunately, we don't know. But even before I read this next part in my research, that's where my brain went. 
Of course, there could be other scenarios, but anything like drugs, bad debts, or, or things like that would have been easily ruled out by looking at her finances and from an autopsy. Another scenario is that she was killed by a hitman. And I'm not sure how it was established that she 100% took out the money, if there was video footage or surveillance or maybe the bank teller just really knew who she was and that's how they agreed that it was Penny that took the money out. But maybe her husband did. I don't know. Maybe she was trying to hire a hitman for her husband and was killed instead. Honestly, I'm just mentioning this as it was brought up and I'll get into that shortly, but it feels far-fetched and less likely to me. It was also looked into by police and nothing ever came of it. But again, who knows? And I've heard of cases where that did end up being the case and it was shocking. But again, I don't necessarily believe that. I'm just discussing all avenues. I'd love to hear your thoughts though, so please reach out on my Instagram at femicide underscore podcast to tell me your theories or what you think of this case. These cases are difficult because you really are just grasping at straws because there are no answers. Even if it were an affair, you'd think there would be some trace of evidence leading to it, but unless they are holding their cards, the police have not disclosed that information. Penny was meticulous though, so maybe she was just really good at keeping a secret and clearing her tracks. This brings us to 1992, when an old neighbor of the Bells named John Richmond sold a story in which he claimed to have had an affair with Penny and that he was the one with her that day and he had killed her and he was arrested. In fact, his fingerprints were found in her car which to me feels like an open and shut case. I mean, why else would his fingerprints have been there? He was also a bankrupt builder, which is like a contractor just in the UK. And therefore, the money angle makes sense. However, he was released just a few months later with the prosecution deciding not to charge him. And I'm not sure why they determined he wasn't involved and Initially, I thought maybe they didn't have enough to prosecute him, but the police stated he was, quote, completely in the clear, end quote. In 1994, John Richmond changed his story and began claiming that Penny was killed by an assassin and that he was paid 30,000 pounds by the man to keep quiet, saying he knew who ordered the hit and that he recommended a hitman, but was unaware Penny was the intended target. This theory makes it appear as though her business partner was involved, but it doesn't account for the 8,500 pound withdrawal or her demeanor that morning. Her business partner also put up 20,000 pounds as a reward for information. So while that would be a great cover, again, it just doesn't really fit or make sense. Also, why would John Richmond have tried to take the fall previously? He cannot use the money if he is in prison for life. I mean, maybe it's for his family if he had one, but he was divorced three times and I'm unsure if he had children. It just again feels far-fetched. It also makes it appear as though John Richmond might have had some mental health issues and maybe that's why he was released. 
Maybe he changed his story too many times and was just unreliable. It's hard to say. Police, like I said, did look into Alistair, as, let's face it, husbands are always the first to be looked into. But his alibi checked out, and no ulterior motives could be established. John Richmond was also questioned again with his claims in 1994, but that went nowhere. DNA was apparently being analyzed in 2003, but no updates are available for that that I could find. And while it was briefly considered that her death was connected to another murder, in 2008, that suspect was also cleared. Her daughter has since stated that she, quote, had a feeling, end quote, as to who killed her mother, but has not elaborated. To me, John Richmond appears to be the culprit, but for him to be completely cleared makes it seem like there's more to the story, which, of course, we as the public aren't made aware of. Normally, the police state there wasn't enough to hold him, he's still a person of interest, and that could still be the case. It's just interesting the wording that they used, saying he was completely cleared. It's also interesting that his fingerprints were in the car. Like, how else could that be explained? I'm very curious. Were they friends? Did he come over to the house and stay in touch with Alistair as well? Could he have been angry they didn't hire him as a builder, knowing he needed the money and so Penny gave him a loan? But even going back to the wallpaper samples, was she showing them to a builder who possibly would take interest in the renovation? I mean, maybe it wasn't an affair, but that John thought there was something more. Unfortunately, we might never know what really happened to Penny. I hope for her family's sake it isn't true, but if John Richmond did commit the murder, he's already gotten away with it for 30 years. And if it's someone else, who and why? I know this story is a little bit harder. It's just theory after theory of potential options as to who and why Penny was killed. But again, it's important to share these stories and hopefully shed a light, spread awareness, and bring her killer to justice. I hope those questions are one day answered, and Penny's daughter can finally rest, knowing her mother's killer was brought to justice. If you have any information regarding this case, I will leave contact information in the show notes of this episode. There is still a £20,000 reward for any information leading to an arrest. Thank you for listening to the story of Penny Bell. I'm your host, Sean Marie. Join me next time for another story.